That's classic. We bring you great laughs and a unique behind-the-scenes look at classic television shows and movies. I'm John Cato. I'm an actor, voiceover artist, and also bring you an amazing insight as a moderator with over 20 years' experience in the television industry. Okay, well, today on That's Classic, we have an awesome guest, uh, none other than Barry Livingston, who obviously played Ernie Douglas on My Three Sons and has quite the prolific career. And uh, we're looking forward to talking to him. And of course, my uh, recurring co-host, Bob Bergen, uh, voiceover extraordinaire, is here as well today uh, to talk with Barry. So uh, anyway, Barry, thank you a ton for being here. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm pleased to be anywhere. So this is a good <laughs> place as any. I, I like it. I like it. Well, you know, you, you know, like I said, you really have had a prolific career. I mean, part of when I do this, I love to go back and you know, uh, look at, you know, where, where did you start and all of that? I was blown away. I'll be really honest with you. I, you're the, the amount of people that you have been around throughout your career is quite stunning. Uh, you know, at one of the, one of the stories that I saw was that you were in a movie, uh, rally around the flag with, um, rally around the flag boys with, uh, exclamation Paul point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I almost missed it. Almost missed it, Barry. Yeah, you got, got to have that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yes, I was, but I, you know, again, the story is it's the first job I ever had, really, and uh, I only got it because I went with my brother on the interview. He was already kind of doing some acting stuff, and my mother just dragged me along. And the producers saw me in the waiting room, and they said, "Oh, this, you know, the movie has an, another role. The, you know, the little brother of, of, you know, of Paul Newman. I mean, of Stan, the role that he wrote read for." So anyway, yes, they they you know asked me if i could uh, read and i did and uh, lo and behold i got it so i uh stan and i were paul newman and joanne woodward's kids in in this movie but you know the story is too that i got yeah. fired I got oh fired. right 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 Yo, well, i got fired because i wasn't I, when i got hired and i wasn't wearing glasses when it when it started wow. and uh during the actual production to shoot we were maybe a week or so in and it shot you know a couple of scenes already and uh, then my eyes started to cross, and uh, inexplicably, and I didn't know, and the director, a guy named Leo McCary, who is a legend in this business, director. Total legend. Soup, you know, a lot of a lot of classic movies. He he was a, an old school screamer, and he started losing his mind because he thought I wasn't paying attention, wasn't, wasn't looking where I was supposed to be looking. And I just, you know, I was looking at a TV. That's all I had to do. It was no, no brainer. But my eyes were going, you know, all over the place. So anyway, they... They took me to a hospital right from the set and uh, wow. said, no problem, you know, not a seizure or anything serious. He just needs glasses. He's got an astigmatism. Maybe the strain or something was causing his eyes to turn in abnormally. You know, it's looking like Marty Feldman suddenly. <laughs> right, and, right. And, and then and so the director and I guess the producers consulted with each other. And went, well, we got to let this kid go because uh, we didn't want him to wear glasses. We didn't think he, you know, Paul Newman's son you know, would be so, so uh, odd looking. And uh, so anyway, yes, I was ceremoniously, I'm still in the movie. I have one shot, the very first scene that you see the character, he's upside down and John Woodward and a yes. character named Percy Kilbride have me by the feet. Well, that's me. But then when the rest of the movie, when the kid's on his feet, uh, it's another, that's another actor, another child well, actor. What's the story about it's uh, I, I read on one of the articles that I read that Paul Newman crawled inside of a TV set to help you. 
Is well, that he true? Was, you know, as sweet as he was, you know, he was he was uh, trying to diffuse what was becoming a very tense situation because the wow. director was getting very angry at me that he thought I wasn't paying attention and being a professional. You know, four years mm -hmm. old, right? Know, being professional at four, you know. Come on. So that, and that's how Paul took it. He went, come on, you know, uh, here, somebody, you know, you got, you got the master shot. You saw me come in to the front door. Uh, you, you know, he already was thinking like a director. He goes, you're probably just going to have a close up of the two shot of the kids watching TV. And he said, somebody, you know, get me a puppet or something, something I'll crawl inside the TV. Wow. It was just a big empty box. And he said, you know, I'll get his attention. It'll be easy. You know, just, just cool it. And anyway, that didn't work either. So <laughs> it was like, well, I was fired. Was it was it heartbreaking? Was it heartbreaking for you for that? Was, to happen? I, you know, I mean, it's it's. I'm I'm still in therapy over it for many many <laughs> years later. I'm still trying to grasp with what I did wrong. Uh, it was I. It was uh, I noticed that it was not a good day, and I noticed yeah. that I was literally put in a car and driven off the lot. Oh my God. And I, uh, you know, I sensed that all, none of this was good. Uh, and of course, my brother got to stay, which was another kind oh. of strange thing. I was let go. He wasn't. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I took it as, as much as in stride as a four-year-old can when he's fired. But, uh, you know, it, it, it tough. It, you know, welcome to Hollywood. It, right, right. It, it stands to me, you know, real quickly, really early on that, it's a tough, tough business. It says a it lot about Paul Newman, by the way. Get any easier, no matter where you are. There's going to be the peaks and the valleys, and yeah, 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 yeah. Well, mine was a very short little hill, and then a very steep <laughs> drop off into into oblivion. But Paul was great. The answer question, Paul was was like you know a method actor, his studio the actor studio guy, and he. You know, prior to that, I remember he'd come into the classroom, our school classroom, and would sit and, you know, he was trying to develop a relationship with us and would, and would go over math problems with us and, you know, and try to act like a dad, you know, just do things that I'm sure, and now I understand why he was doing it. Back then, I had no idea why why he was coming in to, you know, help me with my math. Yeah. yeah. But now I go, oh, I get it. You know, he was, he was working on creating a relationship between mm -hmm. me and Stan. Uh, and yes, he was, he was a terrific guy. Really, that's, really, you know, guy. that says a lot. I mean, seriously, cause we, you look on later, later on, he does the new, the Newman's own dressing. He does all that work that he did for kids. And yeah. then you, you were there so early on, it shows you that, I mean, obviously it really came from his heart, like sincerely. He was you know? a sincere, authentic <laughs> guy, you know, and, and a no BS kind of dude. And, um, you know, he took, he took his work serious and uh but didn't take himself too serious i think that was something you could say about you know mr yeah. newman he was he was um one of the big ones so you had um i mean i like i said i was blown away i mean that sincerely uh, i talked to a lot of different people at you know on the, on the podcast here but you you have to i mean i had i saw you worked with lee marvin you worked with uh or you were not you were on the set with lee marvin jack lemon through yes. uh, Fred uh, DeCordova, yeah. uh, Jackie Gleason, Jerry Lewis, Mickey Rooney. I mean, come on. Yeah, what? no, I, I was, what was it the other night? I just looked it up on IMDb because I said, uh, what was I watching the other night? Um, oh, I think I was watching The Offer, which is a really cool mm -hmm. uh, movie, a uh, miniseries about the making of The Godfather. Mm -hmm. And yes. the guy there, and Arthur Hiller, which was a great director, you know, went on to direct Love Story and a few other really big movies. And I went, gosh, you know, 
I worked with Arthur Hiller in this Dick Powell theater when he with Mickey Rooney. Mickey Rooney actually was nominated for an Emmy in this thing. And I was wow. like, look at that. that. That went way back. It just, you know, I was like, wow, you know, that was early days for him and for me. Uh, but yes, I have worked with quite a few people. Do you remember anything about Mickey Rooney? You know, they tr it's interesting. They did try to trick me. <laughs> I remember and we shot it at a studio out here where we actually wound up years later shooting My Three Sons. It was called Republic Studios then, but it became CBS Radford. But it mm -hmm. was Republic sure. Studios back at that point. And the scene was Mickey Rooney was a very lonely merchant marine sailor on leave and and eventually I think he's knifed by somebody in that <laughs> ending. But the oh yeah, because because that was the that was the thing is that he was supposedly in the alley laying there after he'd just been knifed by some thugs, and I played a little boy that was rode my bike up and and uh, you know and discovered him. And wow. so uh, so they, they I remember probably Hiller's idea or somebody just said let's not rehearse it, let's just put Barry on a bike and you know just have him ride down this alley you know and it was all set up with the cameras at the other end and yeah. and, and, and I'm gonna come across Mickey who's laying on the ground going help me little boy help me help <laughs> me little boy you know and and I think you know I was at that point I you know I was I'd already done a Buster Brown commercial and been fired from a major motion picture so, <laughs> so I kind of knew what was happening you know I knew, that, I knew that it was the you know they were filming this and I kind of went along with it, you know, it just was like, you know, it was, it was kind of clever and I understood they were trying to get a, an honest, real reaction shock for me and uh, hopefully they got it, I, I guess, I don't know, but yeah. Did you like, do you, do you have any recollection of, of Mickey as far as like, he Mickey was like... very sweet. I remember he came up to my parents and was very, you know, full of uh -huh. praise. He was very kind to, you know, said some, you know, that boys, he's really a good little actor and I, you know, He's got a big career ahead of him, and you know who who knew, but wow. um, obviously Mickey knew. Uh, but yes, that was it was kind of cool, you know. Yeah, where where does Jerry Lewis enter the picture? I didn't. I, I was trying to tie that in. I was looking. I was like, I don't probably know. came a couple of years after doing that Dick Powell theater with Mickey Rooney. I I, I did a bunch of films at Paramount uh, before I did My Three Sons. One of them being The Errand Boy with uh, Jerry. Oh Lewis. yeah, um, it's the cat candy store scene, isn't it? The candy store scene, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, you can find well, it online, even if it's the candy. Yeah. Store. No, the, the, the whole movie's great, but but just his physical comedy yeah. in the scene. Did you have a difficult time not laughing? I think so because we'd already, you know, as a kid, Jim Carrey. I mean, Jerry Lewis was our Jim Carrey. Yeah, of course. Yeah. He, oh yeah. So oh, yeah. we all thought he was hysterical, and. Um, yeah, it was, you know, it was real thrill. Um, I don't think Rick laughed, though. I mean, I don't, you know, I think I, I, it was a professional finally at that point. Uh, the, the beauty of that little scene is that it goes on quite a long time on screen. Yep. You know, it's just they're filming a bit, you know, mm -hmm. it wasn't like nowadays, you know, the dialogue, dialogue, and the saying, and maybe there's a button punchline at the end, and they move on. This was like a, a like an old-fashioned kind of Chaplin-esque skit of... wow me and the two other little child actor kids at the studio a lot making him go up and down the ladder up and down the ladder to get candy off the you know and um yeah you know there was there was a little bit of a button but if you if you watch it today you'll you'll see it it it, 
it's unusual in its in its length. Just it it it's just plays out very very slowly and kind of methodically, and it's and it works. It was funny. Was he was he a, like a warm kind of guy to the kids? I mean, nah. he has a wild reputation. Yeah. Actually, no, he was manic. I remember him being manic, kind of yeah. like startlingly so. He was yeah. directing the movie too, and probably wrote it. Yeah, uh, I think you're right. I just remember him running around. My my. I that that's I don't even remember shooting scene, but I do remember him, the energy that he was expending and running around, and I think he ran in front of the camera once when it was tracking, doing some kind of a dolly shot, and the camera hit him and knocked him over. And wow, you know, and those those kind of things I think were more impressive than actually working with Jerry as an actor. <laughs> wow, wow. So what? Um, I, I mean, believe me, I want to get to my three sons, but you got so darn much out there that I'm like, what? What about uh, what about Jackie Gleason? Where's that coming? That was that was a small part in a movie called Papa's Delicate Condition, and uh, oh yeah, he, he was another guy that was, um, you know, this is post honeymooners, and he, maybe he had done The Hustler, I guess. Uh, so he was, you know, into his acting chops beyond just doing the, the honeymooners. Yeah, you know, I, he was. I just he was drunk i mean i kind of that was obvious and, oh wow you know, and again i think he crashed his golf cart <laughs> as i recall oh, you know geez. not not badly but he you know he didn't stop in time and like crashed into some pole or something like that and uh but again i love jackie my dad and uh, you know our whole family would sit up and watch the honeymooners which i think was in already in in reruns at that point, mm -hmm. by the early wow. 60s uh, but that was a just a real treat because we yeah, he used to come on at eleven thirty at night. To this day, I hear that song. You know, the honeymooners theme yeah. song, and it and it brings chills. Just, not because the song is that amazing, but it was like a family experience. Yeah, that we would all kind of gather, and it was past my bedtime. You know, it was eleven, eleven thirty at night, and I was you know probably seven, six, seven years old, and 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 I just it just seemed so late. When I'd see the moon, you know, Jackie yep. Gleason and that, yep. that music to this day, I, it gives me a shiver. Oh, yeah. He was so great. With um, so my three sons, you know, obviously, you know, you you're you know, you run it a long time. Do you remember um, actually, uh, you know, auditioning for it? I mean, I realized that you started as the neighbor and then, of course, they adopt you. But do you remember that initial audition? Um, yeah, and I was already a very, at that point, pretty well established. I, yeah. I, I had a recurring role on the Ozzie and Harriet show, so I'd done 16 episodes of that, and I had just done a pretty big major motion picture called My Six Loves with Debbie Reynolds at Paramount. So they knew me, and they knew me from being on the set, mm -hmm. Stan, you know, I, I mean, I, my mother would just, you know, and had nowhere else to go, no no daycare, so I would just go hang out with, on the, the set, because Stan, my brother, played Chip, and Yes, of course. You know, the show has already been on the air for three years, I guess. Um, so and it was a huge hit. Um, so, yeah, but I was asked to come in and read. I went, you know, I remember very vividly going to Don Federson's office. And, um, you know, the brain trust was there with Don, you know, big office. And he was sitting behind this massive desk and stone face, kind of stoic. And and the uh, the a couple of other guys, the, the other prominent guy in, in the room was a guy named Gene Reynolds, who was... <laughs> 
mm-hmm. a director and went on to create Mash. Well, he was a big. He produced Mash. Mash. He also created Lou Grant. Created Room Two Twenty Two. Uh, oh yeah. He was. He was a. You know, really, uh, at that point, a pretty well established television director and. And it was it was very nice, you know. They were he was the sweetest guy in the room. He was a child actor. He was in mm-hmm. Santa Fe Trail, I think, with Errol Flynn as a kid, and lots so, of great movies. Really, yeah, really he, good. Well, I didn't know that about Gene Reynolds. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I, I think he kind of understood the pressure I was under, mm-hmm. uh, and he was the most human in in the room. I thought. Uh, I read, you know, did my reading, and then and then Don Federson said, thank you for coming, you know, no reveal of anything other than thank you for coming and to wait out in the office for a second, would you? So, you know, remember we sat up there, my dad and I, and sat there five minutes, 10, 15 minutes go by. We're going, oh, no, what's happening here? You know, they're having some kind of debate. Some, maybe one person wants me, another person said no. And Anyway, he eventually comes out and he had keys to, to his his uh, lovely pad down in Palm Springs because we said we were we were leaving directly from their office going to Palm Springs for a vacation and he came out with the keys to us he said I'm sorry it took so long he says we we want to have Barry on the show he's got the part and I want you to I want you as my guest to stay at my my house but it took oh, me forever I, I couldn't find the keys he said this that's what took me so long I was hunting <laughs> around the office where I lost the keys yeah. and he said I I found them yeah, here have a great time, and and that was my uh, audition day with uh, for my three sons. Did, did you go right to his place? Yeah, then? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Dude, we, were all we were all ready to go, and we we're like, ah, let's screw the you know the right? motel. We're gonna go <laughs> spend the spend the week at Don Federson's house, uh, which we did. It was so, it was great. Barry, so, at that point, were they was Mike Mike's character being discussed leaving the show, and they were just. Not with us, not with us. And I don't know if that was a preemptive kind of move to get somebody in the bullpen to be a son. I, I don't mm-hmm. think it was. I know Tim was making a lot of rumbling. Tim Considine, who was the yeah. oldest son, Mike, uh, was making it pretty clear he wanted to do more than just mm-hmm. be Mike. He wanted to direct. And because of the crazy way we shot, we didn't have different directors for every show. We had the same director for the entire season. Because they shot around Fred McMurray, and we right. shoot out of seven, eight, nine episodes a day, just doing stuff on Fred. So they, for continuity, they they had to have a one director for everything. And Tim wanted to be that guy. And uh, wow. anyway, McMurray, I think, was not keen on having Tim uh, take over the, the directing response. But they let Tim did. They they kind of broke the the mold and let him direct one episode, start to finish. You know, you started on a Monday and you finished usually on a Friday and completed an episode. So that was that was kind of a concession. Anyway, um, yeah, I came, you know, because I came on the show as the friend next door. wasn't a, a Right. Right. Of course. And but Tim was the oldest son. And then the next year or at the end of that year, he told him I either get to direct, you know, or I'm leaving. And uh, they said, well, you know, there's the door. Um, so wow. and, and because of that, you know, it was like, you know, take it or leave it from him. Was that why they never referenced the character again? I, partly, probably. But I think once they were gone, there was they didn't want to, you know, create well, whatever happened. We can talking about Mike or whatever. Like, hey, look, we, was... got a letter. we got a letter. Isn't that great? Yeah, I, mean, just, I, I think we yeah. did get once got a letter from him from Paraguay. You know? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. And 
like it like sent us like a like an Indian indigenous native mask or something arrived, and I think that was the only reference. Because once once you're gone, you know wow. you're gone. And can you can you can you elaborate? You said a little bit about Fred McMurray's interesting shooting schedule. I know the story yeah. about. Can you talk about? Yeah. His was I guess it was contractual. That's how he wanted to to shoot the show. Yeah, he was he was uh, had been warned by I, I believe Robert Young, who was in Father Knows Best, that he said yeah. television is a grind. It'll just it'll kill you. He said it's just early you know early in at 8 a.m. and you won't be home till 8 or 9 p.m. every day and and he said you know I'm just telling you if you ever do television just you don't be, beware it's a grind and so Fred was forewarned and when Don Federson broached the idea to Fred of being on the show he said I don't, I don't want any of that I'm interested but I don't want to I don't want to have that kind of workload at yeah. this point in my life and career and he uh had decided he didn't really want to travel doing he had two young adopted girls that he kind of wanted to be a family man and be around so they came up with the idea that he's don Federson, who created the show said no we'll work we'll shoot all your stuff first and you know out of back in the day the episodes then you do 40 episodes a, 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 you know a year wow now you know it's well now it's down to like eight or nine ten is a season That's right yeah Iris uh, Network TV maybe does twenty two or something, um, but anyway, so yes, they they agreed to just shoot him out, and he wouldn't work past five p.m. either. You know, it was it was wow. contractual that he would go from eight a.m. to five. Occasionally, they'd plead with him to you know get catch a shot and go over, but it was pretty ironclad that he would be out the door, uh, you know, by five ish, and uh, but they would shoot everything all of it you know work out of 10 episodes a day and just do masters shots of everybody in the scene and then just jump in to get his close-up and then just move on to the next scene get to get another master and get his close-up so they would skip all the matching shots so they would do that maybe for about six weeks while fred was there and then he would leave you know and I, he wasn't working all that much but he would just you know do do things with his family and uh, wow so we would go back then and, you know, they'd keep track of what you were wearing, you know, everything about the scene and how it looked. If it was somebody took a Polaroid, if Fred had happened to walk out in the middle of the scene, you'd freeze and they'd snap a Polaroid. And then you'd continue the rest of the scene. You'd look how you had, you know, if you had your arms folded or just standing there, you'd have to get in that pose. Then there would be action and you would continue the scene. And then your close-ups, if they, uh, you know, doing a two-shot or a close-up, would just be a reading you're, you're on camera but off stage is was a lady named adele sliff who uh, would read fred's part and she she was you know stand on an apple box because fred was six foot four wow <laughs> and that, that would be your eye line you'd be looking up at her and she would be reading fred's lines so you're most of the close-ups you see with uh on sons they you're if you're on camera and it's your close-up you're not really even doing the scene with mcmurray it was with us as script girl how did that affect you the, this is right. one of the reasons why a lot of the guys wore the same wardrobe show after oh, yeah. show oh yeah no it simplified things you know yeah. uncle charlie never took off that friggin' apron no. for like <laughs> that same blue apron that same blue shirt uh and and then yeah we had uh you know, it presented some challenges because you could shoot the master 
in January, and they'll get around to September to do your close-up, and you could have gained three, four, five pounds. Wow. Grown wow. Kids. You know, you could have grown two inches in six or seven months, yeah. although I didn't, sadly. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it was, and the uh, script supervisor had to notate all of the the little nuances of, you know, if your collar tabs were buttoned or unbuttoned, or if you had a, I mean, that if you catch it, you'll see little mistakes like that, that somebody will be standing there and, you know, their collar tabs are, you know, when they come out in a, in the master shot, they're buttoned down and the close-ups are like ones up. It'll just be like going up and down when they cut back and wow. forth because uh, some of those little airs slip through the cracks. What, what was Fred like when he was there? Yeah, you know, he was a gentle guy. He was a really quiet, kind of shy, I thought, you know. Um, wow. Some would say aloof, but I, I don't like, think that was that. I think he, you know, he was, um, he, he, you know, he existed in a different stratosphere in Hollywood than, than we did. I mean, mm -hmm. he was always accessible and kind of nice and friendly, but but not not uh, a gregarious guy, not, not you know, he on screen he's a very, you know, loving kind of oh yeah more than friendly but just has a very warmth about him off off camera he was much more uh, reserved and private and would retreat to his trailer and you know not a whole lot of sitting around the set with everybody uh but that said you know he was he was a really terrific guy i mean he, he never blew his top never saw him you know like some actor stars you know, throw their weight around. He threw his weight around, but it was quiet. <laughs> and when, if he wanted something done, it would it would usually. You knew Fred had mentioned something uh, that something had to be changed, and it was. Uh, but yeah, pretty pretty much, um, you know, old school pro. Did mm. did you know I was when you were talking about Tim Con Constantine? Wow, terrible pronunciation. But <laughs> when he was, um, I know that he was in the Shaggy the shaggy dog with fred yes, um, yeah was he cast because of fred i think so I, th I think fred liked him and tim was a very likable guy there's no no two ways about it tim very um smart very opinionated um you know outspoken and uh, but i think he he was talented as an actor and i think uh, fred and he you know they respected each other and i thought when it came down to casting that you know the original sons uh i'm sure mcmurray had to approve it if not mm -hmm. if not even suggest that tim would be a, a good choice for that i mean some of the other but here's you know where fred exerted his his uh, influence before ryan o'neill was actually cast in the pilot and uh, as to play robbie which eventually oh, no, i never Tom knew that Brady. and ryan o'neill fred didn't think he, he could do comedy and he was let go and oh wow they wow did he do a pilot he did the pilot. Well, he did okay. enough of the pilot to, to the point of which uh, McMurray decided, and, and it was his call or his his push that he didn't he didn't think that Ryan O'Neill was funny, which of course he's very very good comedian right. actor had a great career as a comedian in film. Um, but you know that's the way it went. If, if Fred Fred could uh, make a break, I guess, <laughs> and. Uh, he would have been fine, I'm sure, but whatever. I don't know. It was it was before your time, but it was a lovely time for you to go up to him and say, Ryan, I got fired too. I <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I should ask him if I receive him to go, hey, I got a, is this true? Because I, I, I know it was, my mother was, you know, sort of involved. Well, the first, very first person cast on that show, other than William Frawley, was my brother Stan. Oh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, oh wow! He might even been been cast before William Frawley. Stan was was cast as Chip, and then I think maybe Frawley was next, and then they worked their way through Considine, and then uh, Ryan O'Neill, and then uh, you know they started the pilot and realized that or Fred realized he wasn't keen on Ryan O'Neill, and then they they uh, brought you know because my mother heard about this. Frankly, she said, "Oh, you know, we're starting," and she knew uh, Mary Grady. Who Mary mm-hmm. Grady was a, a talent agent. Her son was gone, yeah. Yeah. and I think she let let her in on the secret. So they got the leg up to get Don into uh, audition, and the rest is history. He, he, you know, he the pilot was finished with Don in it, not not with Ryan. So it was that yeah. pilot that 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 footage has to ex- exist somewhere on YouTube. Somebody must that must have that. Uh, you know that's a different. You yeah. know, maybe somewhere in some vault somewhere at Paramount because that's where they were shooting back right. then. It was Desert. I, re- I, I remember when I, when I was a kid watching the show and they had one of those flashback episodes. Oh uh, yeah. Was you know when the show was in color and they're flashing back and I remember sitting with my mom going, "I'm very confused." Um, uh, uh, Chip has blonde hair, and <laughs> and, and everybody's black and white. When did they decide to go color? And why is Uncle Charlie uh, Fred Mertz? I mean, I, as a child watching yeah, yeah, yeah. the most confusing yeah. thing, I must have been like seven or eight years old or maybe even younger, but like, yeah. man, and it just looked so different. And I don't understand what, what happened. What happened to these people? And yeah. I thought it was, I thought they filmed it today. I didn't understand what a flashback was. Interesting. So, yeah. to, a, to a small child, it was very confusing. Well, you know, it, it, so was, uh, it, Darren, it was Darren Stevens changing. That was that. Don't get me yeah, started. Yeah, yeah, no, another Darren came in. Yeah, yeah, and again, they never mentioned they never mentioned anything when they make a big change like that. You know, that was just that's you just accept it and you know. But uh, the, the the show changed networks too, so it mm-hmm. started on ABC, and then when it did go to CBS, which was probably sixty four. Because uh, I think I was well, I was in some of the black and whites mm-hmm. uh, the very first season. I was a friend next door. But then I think when it went to the CBS and uh, I, I guess it was CBS, I, that's when William Frawley, William Frawley became ill and, and mm-hmm. they had to let him go and brought in William Demers. So we actually, I think, came in uh, almost at the same time. Um, I think uh, the year I became a son, they introduced Bill Demarest, mm-hmm. right at the beginning, and then probably six or seven episodes in, they did the storyline that that you know introduced me as uh, you know the little boy next door, the foster child who who uh, and Tim was leaving. So yeah, what uh, can can we talk a little bit about uh, William Frawley? By the way, I mean he is uh, obviously with especially with this new uh, being the Ricardos, it's even coming you know even bigger about about his past and everything what what was he really like because i i did read a little bit that I, apparently you went to you would go to lunch with him and all of this what what was he really like not f- too far different than than fred mertz or bub um you know he was a a lovable uh gruff outspoken you know very little filter uh an alcoholic no no doubt about that yeah which probably uh, loosened his tongue even more. Uh, but he was funny, you know, and again, uh, guys like that, you know, they cut them huge slack that you would never get away with the kind of stuff that he did mm-hmm. in a television series now, you know, just getting drunk at lunch and not wanting to come back to work or coming back in a half an hour, 45 minutes late, 
that would never never be tolerated but uh you know they understood who they had and i think again mcmurray loved frawley and that gave yeah. him some cover good point <laughs> and dad didn't want to see him go uh so that probably i don't know you know whether bill knew that or not but nonetheless it was it was pretty apparent that that mcmurray you know was it was his champion uh, and yeah, uh, you know, he was he was that guy that you saw on TV. Really, did you did you rescue him, so to speak, a few times at at lunch? Because I I also you know, read that the cast was kind of put in charge of trying to get him back. Well, yeah, they were we were asked by our production manager to help out because time is money, you know, and you're all you go to lunch at one o'clock, you got to be back by two, not two fifteen, and uh, so you know we were. We were encouraged, we should have asked for money for this, but we were encouraged <laughs> to uh, tell Bill, you know, it's time to get back to work, Uncle Bill, we got to go back to work. And, you know, and he would wow. be on his third Cuddy Sark by then and uh, and his other like cantaloupe. He had a half a cantaloupe with a scoop of vanilla ice cream in it every day. Oh lunch. my gosh. Was his, so That's an information. Uh, <laughs> it's really. <laughs> a quirky bit of information it is. yes it's not bad i've had it uh but still you know that was our job an unofficial job to try to lure him back and of course when stan and i who were you know young kids he he was uh you know he wouldn't stomp and bite our head off like he would if some pa came and started to hassle him you know he'd take even longer but yeah so we were able to kind of prod him to get back into work of course then he'd get back to work sometime in the afternoon he was pretty much useless because he you know he was an old guy he was there he showed he was he there. showed up but he would sometimes fall asleep and uh you know that uh again they put up with it you know he got away wow. with it so did the when when uh william frawley comes in in um demarest. i mean william i'm sorry william demarest thank you when william demarest comes in what was that for you as an actor like oh big relief or was there like either was there a huge energy shift it was it was a little different because you know we all loved frawley and he was yeah. uh you know he loved the kids stan and i and we just thought he was hysterical because he would you know swear like a drunken sailor <laughs> and of course the more we laughed the more he he would lean into that <laughs> and so oh, yeah and uh yeah, and it was a tough, tough thing for Frawley to let that go because he really <laughs> relished becoming Bub and particularly to uh, give it up to one of his competitors, Demarest. I don't think they were great friends at all. And so, you know, but he had no choice. They couldn't insure him anymore. And so, you know, I think there was one episode where they, the baton was, you know, the spatula was passed to the to the next yeah. Annie. And uh, pretty frosty, as I recall, that, <clears throat> you know, they weren't, <laughs> I'd say they weren't great friends. But, you know, he understood. He had to go. And I think he died very soon after yeah. he, he left, maybe a couple of months oh, later. Oh, man. How sad. How, was, the way, was, oh, go ahead, Bob. Real, just, was, does the move from Bryant Park to North Hollywood just, hey, this is a continuing story, something different to do? Or is there, a, a, I guess, a network or logical reason behind it that we don't know about? You know, that's that was the move coincided with switching from ABC to CBS. Uh, you know, I think it was pretty much we went to color then. So there was a lot of maybe 
reasons to just shake up the look a little bit of the show and everybody was going to color mm-hmm. you, know, you couldn't stay black and white without looking like a dinosaur and um so you know that that probably had something to do with the shift from from color to uh you know from black and white to color you know and the and the tone of the show constantly changed from the black and white to the color to cbs i was working at cbs radford once years ago because i i think the house is gone but i remember seeing that house going that's it yeah because that establishing shot made it look like this gigantic mansion and it's such a tiny little set it's such a facade i should say it's just a facade yeah Uh, you know they you'd walk you know, get out of the station wagon and go through the front door, but you're just walking into the walking, you know, into, walking into some bushes behind the the, <laughs> you know, the facade. Uh, you know, and then they had all the interiors on the soundstage. But uh, yeah, it, it was a transition. You know, I mean, and again, we all kind of got used to Demarest and his. He was he was like Frawley, but a little little. Um, you know, again, Frawley was a little more lovable, and and Demarest yeah. was similar. Uh, I think he was like a recovered alcoholic, so he was a little, little snappier, a little edgier, maybe, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. But then, nonetheless, he was a, he was a hoot. You know, he was a, a great character actor. And um, I might the biggest regret is I never really mined some of the. He would always talk, and this is before art houses, you know, movie theaters where you could yes. go to see old, you, you know, the million dollar movie. You could catch a film or whatever from back in the. And he uh, always kind of referenced Preston Sturges, who was you know, <laughs> one of the great first auteurs in, in Hollywood. Very much and, so. You know, he wrote Miracle of Morgan's Creek and The Great McGinty. Oh, yeah. And Lady Eve and all these great movies. And uh, I was just not interested. I just went, oh, yeah, huh, that sounds good. I mean, what's, what's, what time is the Dodger game on radio? You know, I'd be hey, like, hey. wow. You know, because he would, he would always talk about how great you know the great mcginty is actually the best part ever and you're you're gonna see it and i was like yeah okay yeah sure you know but uh i'm sure he had some really great stories that i missed yeah i i I get it by the way how many seasons uh i'm not i i'm sorry how many weeks did you shoot in a season uh how many weeks in a season well i don't mean weeks but just month wise we had about a about a nine month shooting schedule i mean maybe you know eight and a half nine and then uh it would shut down for three months i'd go back to public school for three or four months take my licks and then come back and uh, i was i was public school being on a, on a hit yeah, series take my licks yeah uh, yeah you know it, it was you know it was it was challenging you know yeah uh Kids are merciless, and they, and particularly, mm-hmm. and you're confused anyway when you're why do people like me or why do people not like me? Yeah, and uh, I didn't want to be liked for being Ernie. Yeah, uh, but that was hard to differentiate for kids, and and you know I kind of knew the difference, but but to get people to uh, acknowledge that there is an actor playing Ernie was challenging, you know, and uh, sure, you know, I was. Where did you guys grow up? What part of LA? Uh, in uh, Studio City. We okay. moved to Studio City in '63. Oh yeah, and, I actually uh, lived there at one I point. Yeah. North, did you? Yeah, I went to yeah. North Hollywood High. Mm-hmm. I went to Millican Junior High and then North Hollywood High. Okay. I graduated from North Hollywood High. Very cool. <laughs> there you go. Hey, 
Um, we, we've talked about a lot of the actors on there, but I want to go back to Fred, Fred uh, de, de Cordova, because I mean, especially for a younger guy, you, you sound like you had quite a special relationship with him. I mean, yeah. it wasn't just like, oh, hey, you're the actor on the set. It seems like it was like almost a mentor. He was, um, you know, I had a father, but he was like a second father. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, for your audiences, Fred de Cordova probably became much more well-known as Johnny Carson's producer of The Tonight Show for some 20 years. Correct. But prior to that, he uh, directed a lot of films. Ronald Reagan was one of his best friends uh, from mm-hmm. directing uh, the Bonzo movie. Bonzo goes to college and Bonzo does this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fred was a socialite. Fred Fred was, you know, circulated among the... And, and he also produced and directed... I don't know if he directed, but he produced the Jack Benny show, produced the George Burns show. He was a real behind-the-scenes icon in Hollywood. That's why, that's why Carson, Johnny Carson, hired him. But he was our director for about four years, and I just had a real special relationship. I just loved the guy, and, and he was a... He, he was uh, um, perhaps the wittiest, sharpest tongued person I think I've ever encountered. I think you could, any, anybody that knew him would probably agree with that. Uh, but that said, you know, he, he took a liking to me and we were pals. You know, I would hang out with him after work, you know, go to go to watch the dailies from the night before. And we'd sit there and have dinner and, you wow. know crack each other uh, up uh, and take me to ball games with Jack Benny. And, you know, it was, uh, you know, really, really. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait, tell us an entire scenario. That went to ball games with Jack Benny. Wait, wait, wait. You can't just drop that one. You know, what What was that like going to a baseball game with Jack Benny? Wow. Well, I remember I, you know, we were going to go to a game. We went to Fred's home up in Truesdale Estates, which is a very ritzy area above Beverly Hills. And, and the doorbell rang, and he said, oh, "Go get the doorbell." I said, "What am I the What am I the butler?" You know, I was like, you know, trying to be smart, smart guy with Fred, make him laugh, and and he, you know, God, you know, get your ass over there, you little runt, you know. And I yeah, opened the door, and boing, you know, there's Jack Benny standing. Like, well, now who are you? You know. <laughs> and so yes, it was uh, quite a, quite a, you know. I guess we went to the game. I sat in the back seat and listened to Fred and Jack Benny just exchange repartee, uh, just tell, you know, funny, funny guys, both of them, and uh, my 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 favorite. One of the things I just recall is, is Jack Benny re- telling Fred how he had met Vin Scully's son, and he said, "You know, Fred, I I met Vin Scully's son, and he said, you know, he he's the splitting image of Vin." He said, you know, if I was an Eskimo and I was walking through a blizzard in the frozen tundra and I walked into an igloo and saw this little boy sitting around a campfire eating whale blubber with some Eskimos, I would say that's Vin Scully's son. I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> that was that was too good. <laughs> oh, my, my impression wasn't that good, but that not that, bad. That yeah. was just of him, his way of uh, explaining how how this kid, his Vincoli son, was a splitting image. He went in that whole long winded thing about an Eskimo. And, you know, <laughs> I was like, wow, that was that was a funny way to get to that point. But uh, yeah, then we go for drinks at the Cock and Bowl on Sunset Boulevard, which is oh, another yeah. you know, old-time hangout and uh, the bistro in Hollywood, um, wow. Beverly Hills. So 
yes, he he was he was quite uh, quite a great guy. I really loved him. Did you? Um, is that also like like I said, I did a lot of reading about you, and, I, and Lee Marvin came up, and Jack Lemon. Was that yeah. through Fred? Fred like, knew yeah. everybody. Fred, I mean, that's why Johnny Carson hired him. Fred knew everybody, you know, from mm -hmm. the Lee Marvins to you know the Prince of Monaco, and you know he was he was, you know, it wasn't it funny because his wife Janet and he didn't get married till late. He was a you know handsome guy playing the town that he was 55 when he married Janet who was his wife uh and but after work every night there'd be a party at you know Jimmy Stewart's house or Greg Peck is having us over for dinner tonight or uh, cocktails with the Bennies and yeah you know, I just thought wow what a what a life he's got outside of this other world uh, you know James Mason and you know and all that that whole wow. crowd will be there and so he was you know, he was part of that Chasen's A-list of guys. And, uh, you know, I, I rode his coattails a little bit, you know. Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. We would have too. Cato and I would have been like, hey, Fred, what are you doing out there? You know? <laughs> in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Well, did you ever meet Johnny, by the way? I did. I Actually, I, I did. Uh, I did the Carson show once. I actually had, had oh. at, right after My Three Sons, I did a... Uh, Hallmark Hall of Fame did a a, uh, a version of the Broadway musical "You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown." Yeah, sure. And, uh, so I played Linus in that, and it was shot at NBC. And I, I remember, you know, walking over to Fred's office. By this time, he was now at, uh, at you know fully ensconced as a executive producer of the Tonight Show. And I, anyway, yeah, I kind of you know told him what I'm doing and all that. And and one day he showed up on the on the set. And of course, the producers, you know, just like, went, oh God, it's Fred DeCarter. We got, you know, we got to got to get, uh, you know, some publicity for this. And so they were very impressed that Fred, you know, came up and greeted me. And uh, the executive producer, Warren, something or other, you know, was pitching the idea of, gee, it'd be great if we could get something, you know, we'd get Sparky. It's Sparky, Charles Schultz, you know, he maybe he'll, and he had never done any kind of PR. He was living up in wherever San Rafael. Right, right. That was, about, that was the only place he ever went. And and uh, Fred said, well, you know, if we're going to have Sparky on, we got to have Barry on too. And and they were like, okay. Wow. <laughs> so I was like, ooh, okay. And, and, and what it wound up being actually was we didn't, they we did two songs from the show. I think we performed on the Tonight Show. Oh, you did know, you? Charles Schultz came out and sat with with Johnny. Uh, we you know or trotted out there like you know the the troop of entertainers and and we did a couple songs you know from the show and uh, yeah of course then we all met Carson too and uh, you know that was that was, was, was that Hallmark Hall of Fame was that the one that Noel North was into? Well, who? Noel North. Yes, I think so. Yeah, okay. she played Peppermint Patty, I think. Yeah, I, I think. Oh, to... yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, I, I posted was... something on Facebook, and somebody kept asking me. I'm glad you said that because I was going. I know just about everybody's name that I remember. Mark Montgomery played. Uh, I forget what, but Wendell Burton was Charlie Brown. Bill Hinnon, who was the original Snoopy, was Snoopy. Ruby mm -hmm. Pearson was uh, Lucy, and Noel Noel. I didn't remember her name till now. Was uh, Peppermint Patty. Here we go. Patty. Yeah, hey, so I want to, I want to kind of, I think we're along that uh, the same timeline, but I do have a question, buddy. So, who, what were your thoughts when they said, "How about a My Three Sons Partridge Family reunion?" Because y'all had nothing. Said, how much does it pay? That's, that's always how much does it pay? 
Oh, there you go. Look, I had done a lot of, you know, post My Three Sons, and I know we rarely got into this, but still, I was already, had done another television series called Sons and Daughters. I'd been on Broadway working. I went to New York afterwards and became, you know, a working actor in New York. Yeah. Uh, um, Some other, you know, a lot of television movies and things like that. So, you know, to come back to go and do My Three Sons, I said, if everyone else is doing it, okay. You know, okay. I don't know why with the Partridge family. It was some brain fart of Dick Clark's, you know. <laughs> it, just, it just seemed like such an interesting or, and or, I mean, I could see My Three Sons and Family Affair because it yeah, seemed like yeah. the same producers, you know, same producers. network. No, it was, it was Dick Clark, Dick Clark production. And uh, oh, somehow, some way, I don't know why he, he mashed up those two shows. They, they really were not, I think, in sync. Not but, at all. Uh, you oh, know, yeah. whatever, it was a weird day, weird week. You know, it was, we got yelled at by Dick in that one too, because he, you know, they, they told us his favorite nations. Everybody gets the same billing and the same amount of money and blah, blah, blah. You know, except for David Cassidy. Okay, got it. It makes sense. Brad, you know, Shirley Jones. Okay. Right. All the other kids. Susan Day, they got, she, she got, and special guest Susan Day. And we were like, what? Why? <laughs> Why not special guest Barry Livingston? I think I've done a even right in her post. Anyway, her her husband I think was an agent at ICM. And to, in fairness, I think she was just about to do LA Law, but that wasn't the deal. It was like just the major, major, major stars were going to get their separate. So yeah, we had a, a moment where, and Tim, who was not afraid to buck the system and authority. Said, well, we're not coming down to you know to shoot this thing on on actually the day they wanted to tape. We're until they address this because we we brought it to their attention that that was the original deal, and of course then we did the table read and we you know saw the they read out the credits and we're like, huh, and so we tried to get them to adjust and and fix it, but they didn't. Wow. So, you know, come come tape day, uh, you know. We, we well, considering hold up in our dressing room for about 10 minutes till Dick Clark came and beat the door down and dragged us all out. Like was he screaming? He was very upset. We were time is money. You boys are wasting my time. You're wasting my money. Get your asses down there. Wow. And I think he I think he actually said, we'll fix it. They never, they never did. Yeah. Well, the, the, wow. the thing is, it's called My Three Sons. You are part of the title. I would think right. that, they, I don't know, compensate. Uh, it just, you know, I, it's so long ago. It, it's such oh, a I know. I meaningless, know. meaningless little trivial piece of Holly, my little Hollywood history. So yeah, it, it was, it was an interesting day. And, you know, again, we got, we got a good tongue lashing by Dick Clark. I would have loved one. I would have loved one. Just, you know, just to say, Hey, you know who, who yelled at me on set? <laughs> oh God. It I was... think that'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was not fun at the moment, but uh, but in retrospect, we go. I guess I don't know. Do we deserve it? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But uh, Barry, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta ask you one that I I read, and I was this was another one of those moments in your career. I was blown away. I'm reading, and you're, or I might have seen you in 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 an interview. I can't remember, but you literally told the story about Elvis. I was like, what Elvis in a limousine? What what is that story like? Where was that? Uh, it was at Paramount, and I was prior just prior to My Three Sons. I was doing a movie with uh, Debbie Reynolds called My Six Loves. Yeah, and um, 
Yeah, it was a big movie. Cliff Robertson was in it, and uh, David Jansen. Eileen oh, Hecker, wow. It was a Gower champion. I don't know if that name oh, well, of course. The legendary Broadway director. Oh, legend. His first, first film that he was going to be doing. I don't think he did anything after that. Anyway, I was walk. I was riding my bike around the lot. Uh, you know, had free time, and and Paramount's a big place, and a lot of movies, a lot of production things are going on there. And um, oh, yeah. I came across this beautiful long white Cadillac limousine, and uh, you know, I went, "Well, look at that. That's pretty pretty cool." And the door was open, and I kind of like stopped and peeked inside, and then I hear that you know famous voice, "Hey, son, you know." You like you like what you see, you know, like kind of a thing. And I was like, oh my God, it's Elvis. And you knew, it, you knew, like you, even though you were younger, you were like, oh my God, that's Elvis of Presley. Of course, you know. Wow. I, mean, I was probably ten or eleven, but you know, be like, of course, everybody knew Elvis. And you know, he was not only it, just part of his stage veering out of I what I thought was the cool Elvis, the early rock and roll, jailhouse rock, heartbreak hotel, into the, you know, the Colonel's exploitative you know, Blue Hawaii and all the, right. know, all the kind of junky films he did for a million dollars each. I think he was Literally. the guy that, that got a million bucks for a picture. Anyway, he was going to take a little spin. Chuck Barris had customized it or done some work on it. And, and he just said, you know, I'm going to take a little tour around the lot, you know, hop in. You want to come with me? I was like, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, so uh, yeah, it was it was a you know ten minute ride, nothing spectacular. He turned on the TV and we watched a, a cartoon pop by, and uh, <laughs> came back around, gave me a coke. Not a lot, whole lot was said. Uh, I don't know if he recognized. He might have recognized me from from as a you know somewhat working child actor, because I like I said I he probably did because I had, had done already done about sixteen episodes of the Ozzie and Harriet show yeah, and right. Rick. I'm sure he knew Rick pretty well and probably watched Good point. That. He probably knew who I was. Had seen me on something or other. So, yeah, you know, it was just a nice little uh, brief little moment with the king. And, uh, and Popeye. And Popeye. He loved Popeye. And he, he, blew me away. he actually knew when Popeye was coming on because he, 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 <laughs> yeah. he said, what was your favorite cartoon? I said, oh, Popeye. Oh, you know, clicked. I think it's on right now. And, you know, and <laughs> Three thirty. He sort of, you know, knew the schedule. That's, that's, that's on Channel Five. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he, yeah, he was a wow. big kid. You know, just a big kid. So when you were in the back of the car with him, was it just were you were you actually watching Popeye, or were you sitting there drinking your coke, thinking I'm oh. sitting next to Elvis Presley? No, all of it, all of it. You know, sitting there and just going, mm, "This is weird. This is kind of cool." And. uh you know, some no creepiness involved whatsoever. Yeah, sure. You know that that sort of this day and age, everyone jumps to some kind of creepy conclusion. Oh, of course. No, it was just like uh, he's a sweet guy, and he saw yeah. who I was. Um, I certainly knew who he was. He saw I was enamored with that, and uh, very very generously and graciously said, "Come on, you know, I see you like my limo. I'll show you." All of that sounds creepy today. I see you like my limo. <laughs> right, right. It had nothing, nothing like that. Going That's on. so cool. That's so cool. So the other, the other part that got me was uh, here's Lucy. I mean, and I remember that episode with you with that uh, pompadour uh, hair on your head, and I remember that whole that whole scene. Well, what was uh, what was Lucy like? Because I another another thing I saw, she was going by. I want to say in her golf cart, and she actually yelled to you like, "Hey, Barry, 
Like, well, like you know, by then, I, I, yeah, again, I, I had done a few films and I'd done the Aussie and Harriet show, and I was on the lot at that point as, as uh, the kid next door and my three sons. So she knew, you know, she knew who I was. I, you know, had no idea she knew who I was, but I knew she was at that point, uh, you know, Desi Lou Studios was Lucille Ball's gig. Lou Desi right. had just, you know, no longer part of that world. <laughs> And uh, yeah, she kind of was racing around a lot in her in her golf cart, and practically you know ran me over and as you know in her dust, you know, hey, 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 you know, and smoking a cigarette and just like, wow, oh my God, she knew my name. That's pretty crazy. And then I they she requested that I do an episode, um, and I did a couple actually. I played actually Gail Gordon, who was Mr. Mooney. Yes, his son. Uh, but then, yeah, the probably the more famous of those episodes or more fun was the one where she she gave me a haircut and it turned out to be a mohawk and you know. Uh, but yeah, it was you know she, we shot side by side because mm -hmm. she we were in stage eleven, she was in stage twelve where they shot the Lucy show. Wow. So um, you know it was literally just walking from one doorway into the other to go do her show and and I was still you know under contract to uh, to do. Oh, I don't know. They were probably doing about 30 episodes of Sons. I probably did 15, 17, something like that in that first year. So, you know, there's there was room for me to go off and do a couple other things. Was it, do you remember when you were doing that scene with the Pompadour? Was it like, just like, hey, it's just a job? Or was it like, wow, I'm No, it was, it, that was more than just a job. That was, yeah. Yeah, again, it was like working with Jackie Gleason or Jerry Lewis. It was mm -hmm. so iconic to uh, be in Lucy's orbit. But again, you know, she was a, you know, she was tough. She not up with me, not mean, but but she uh, a taskmaster and clearly steering the ship and wow. knew it. And you know, and she if something wasn't funny, she she thought you know, she was very vocal about <laughs> about it with her opinions. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, it was very cool. Well, I'll tell you, uh, be, before we go, I I do this on every episode uh, of the of the uh, podcast. I like to give you a chance to kind of tell the fans like either something that you're involved with currently in your career. I, I know that, uh, and, and I'd like you to also talk a little bit about Notorious Nick, which mm -hmm. I know you, you just put out. And uh, and obviously your book that you came out with it as well, which I'll be quite honest, I haven't read it yet, but it's on my list. I, I, I got to check it out. So yeah, please. Um, yeah, well, the book, The Importance of Being Ernie, uh, it's been out for a few years and um, recounts the most some of the stories that we talked about here and more. Uh, it was an interesting. I just finished actually the Social Network, the film, um, David Fincher film. So uh, great movie. Yeah, it was. You know, why write it? I don't know. I kind of got to the point where I went, uh, you know, I, there was a nice, nice hill that I went up to do Sons, and after that, you know, a lot of work in L.A. and Hollywood, and, you know, television movies, and then went to New York, did Broadway, and then I kind of came back, and I was in my thirties, and things kind of dipped slowed a little um things started to rebound probably in the 90s and there was a recurring role on doogie hauser and and uh you know and then I suddenly was doing some film at zodiac with david and then i did uh ask me to do social network so i thought oh well you know there's kind of bookends here maybe i can write about that and everything in between yeah um, so that's the book you can find it on amazon and uh, notorious nick is uh i think a really cool little movie i did uh, just came out last year you can find it on amazon prime 
or uh, Voodoo. I guess any you got to Google it, but I think Amazon Prime is is showing Notorious Nick, um, and it was a major role. It was something very different for me. Usually, I uh, I usually play doctors or lawyers or accountants or scientists. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, this was a wrestling coach and a, uh, to a guy. It's a true story about a guy who only had one arm. Uh, you know, one was defective. He had a congenital defect, but a guy named Nick Newell. Um, true story. He went on to become uh, champion of the world in, in his weight class in uh, mixed martial arts. Really? Um, with one arm? With one arm. Yeah, it's wow. an amazing story. And you, know, you can cool imagine the, the struggles that he encountered trying to be taken seriously, that he could actually hold his own in, yeah. in fighting ring. Uh, mixed martial arts is such a brutal sport. But he, uh, I played his wrestling coach in high school. And he excelled, you know, uh, you know, and then, of course, he, uh, you know, encountered all the difficulties getting out of school. What do you do with your life? And only one working arm. And but then he, he crazily decided he wanted to try mixed martial arts. And so he came comes back to me, his high school wrestling coach, who he had a good relationship with, said, can you can you help me do this? And I go, I don't I don't I, I don't you know, why, I don't know anything about that. And. So together they they you know they they took a plunge and they uh, and eventually he did get a, a shot at the title and That's won. Cool. Uh, it's That's a great story. Cool. Very cool. And, wow. Yeah, it's notorious Nick. I think it's a it's a cool little movie. Um, and uh, good Kevin Pollock is in it. Uh, Elizabeth Rome is in it. Uh, Cody Christian, who's kind of real, you know, a hottie from Teen Wolf, and I guess All American plays Nick Newell. Um, it's it's good cast. Really really works. Very and cool. then uh, I'm uh, I have a recurring role on uh, in the Bosch world the Bosch mm, yes you do uh, great series came out now the Bosch Legacy just dropped um, a couple months ago uh, and on Amazon Freebie which is uh, like you know we're saying it's just like TV it's like okay <laughs> there's nothing new under the sun it's just programs with commercials <laughs> right exactly. where have I heard that concept before <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so you know you get you get it through Amazon Prime. But you can, you know, scroll down, you'll find Amazon Freebie, and it's a lot of new content. And, you know, because Bosch, the original Bosch series started and still is on Amazon Prime. But Amazon, uh, but Bosch Legacy is the next stage of Harry Bosch, the private, he's a private detective now instead of a uh, LAPD homicide wow. detective. Um, so, yeah, I'm really kind of proud and happy to be still part of that franchise. That's cool. That's really cool. Well, listen, uh, just thanks a ton for, for being on the program. Love talking to you. I thought it was amazing. And it's so cool to see somebody that started out as a child actor, not completely derail themselves and, and have this successful career. And I'll tell yeah. you, there's no, no, you know, small accomplishment there. I think that's just terrific what you've done. I'm sitting here in polka dot underwear. You just don't see how crazy. <laughs> <laughs> We don't judge, but you know, people, people watching this, go to Barry's IMDb, buddy. You are one of the most busy character. <laughs> Wear your finger out, right? Scrolling. Wait a minute. Oh, oh my, I'm so tired scrolling through these oh. credits. Oh Lord, does it ever end? 
you go to the bottom, towards the bottom, you can see, you know, watch Popeye with Elvis Presley. Uh, right. Probably one of the better credits. That is great. I, I think it is. I, you know, I, there's a lot of junk in there, too, but I, I think that's a highlight for sure. Hey, junk, junk, junk that pays scale plus 10 and can pay the bills. Who cares? That's called being an actor. Junk has I mean, paid off my mortgage and yeah. junk yeah, continues to, 39 cents continues to arrive in the mail from things I did 100 years ago. So I'll, I'll take it. But you've continued on. I mean, it's just incredible. I got to tell you a quick side note. I actually was in a Honda commercial with you. Oh, many with years Jason ago. Alexander was in that too. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Jason, I, and he hadn't done Seinfeld yet. Oh, that's so funny that you remember but, that. Yeah. I, no, I yeah. only. I you know, it was a bunch of guys packing up a yeah. car. Yes. To go fishing or something, and yeah, I talked to Jason a little bit and. I was shocked because they're going, well, they they flew him out from New York to do this. I go, really? Oh, wow. Well, who are you now? And <laughs> and it was prior to him doing, uh, you know, Seinfeld. Yes. Whether he was, had, I think he was on Broadway doing mm -hmm. uh, something. He was, you know, he was a Broadway star. Right. Oh, yeah. He's a big Broadway guy. Yeah. But I said, oh, really? You do a lot of any commercials? He go, oh, yeah, yeah. How many? I got 10 or 12 national spots running right now. <laughs> <laughs> Really, I'm doing this one stinking regional right, exactly. I come and I'm going. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, I, right. I was like, I was sitting right next to you, going, "Thank you, Jesus." <laughs> yeah. going, wow, this guy, wow. this guy, anyway, and uh, yeah, yeah, that was funny. So what a small world. Well, that's cool. It's so cool you remember that. But um, yeah, anyway, yeah. listen, thanks a bunch. I wish you tons of success uh, continuing continuing on with your career. Yeah. So, so anyway, Barry, have a wonderful day and thanks. Okay. So much. All right. Thanks, guys. Barry. All right. See you later. Take care. Take care, buddy. Bye -bye. Take care. Bye bye. Follow us on Spotify and iTunes and leave us a review. Thank you so much.